This episode of the Disney Film Project is sponsored by TouringPlans.com. Head over to TouringPlans.com and use their tools to save yourself time and money when you are at Walt Disney World or Disneyland. You can use the Lines application on your mobile phone, use the Crowd Calendar to figure out which parks to hit which days, or use the Touring Plans to save time and money waiting in line. TouringPlans.com is the sponsor of this episode of the Disney Film Project. Welcome again, everybody, to the Disney Film Project podcast, the program where we talk about the films of the Walt Disney Company. It's just that simple. It's a simple premise. Hopefully, you've learned it by now. If you haven't, if this is your first time, welcome aboard, because we are here to talk about movies, because we love movies, we love Disney, and that's what we do. I'm Brian Kilpatrick. I'm the host of this show, and along with these guys here, we talk about Disney films over at DisneyFilmProject.com. You can visit that website and see blogs of the latest Blu-rays that have come out from Disney. You can get the shows from this podcast. You can get reviews of the Disney shorts in order. We're all the way up to, to the early 1950s, so make sure you go check that out. So go over to DisneyFilmProject.com. There's more of you listening than are going to visit the website, so go over and visit the website and check it out and see all the great content that's up there every week. Joining me in this fine endeavor is, of course, our wonderful film buff crew. We have Miss Brianna Alessio, who you can find over at adventuresofbree.blogspot.com. Uh, she will rejoin us in a future episode. But as always, we have Mr. Todd Perlmutter, who is a blogger over at touringplans.com. He is chief technical officer at disneydrivenlife.com. He is a behind-the-scenes web guru, I believe is going to be his new title, at onthegoandmco.com. He is also uh, chief uh, technical officer of the world, I believe. Cool. That... Yeah, I'll accept that. Okay. Done. Right. So, uh, Todd, you do you do Blu-ray reviews on the site. You do uh, do you do you do some chief technical wizardry on our site as well, right? I put stuff. I put up the posts. I make sure things are working. But you know, it's it's Blogger. Blogger like kind of sort of runs itself because it's in the Google framework of life. <laughs> the Google framework of life. I like that. Yes. I think we all now live our lives in that framework for the most part. Yes. Google is your cloud. And joining us, as always, the fine producer of the program is Cheryl Perlmutter, who you can find on Twitter at CherylP3 or over at about.me slash CherylP3, where she talks about the horrors that is uh, putting this podcast together. How are you, Cheryl? Good. I actually was talking to one of our friends today. Not really, but kind of sore because I was doing errands. She was doing errands, and we're doing errands in the same place. <laughs> it, that's always good. Doing errands in the same place. I'm not really sure. I'm not really sure if doing errands is, counts as good, but I'm going to go with it. All right. So tonight, today, you know, overnight, whenever it is that you've planned to listen to this program. We are going to be discussing the 1993 Halloween film Hocus Pocus as we continue our look at the films of Kenny Ortega, since we've touched on all of his other Disney work, pretty much. Right? Have we missed any uh, Kenny Ortega films? Um, I don't know. I mean, I don't know if he's done anything that's not Disney. I, I, I honestly remember. But... um. 
because I'm not really, you know. But uh, I thought it was interesting because this is the only film he's directed that he did not provide choreography for because there really is none. No, there, he did provide choreography for this. He if did. You look at, if you look in the end credits, it says choreography Kenny Ortega. Oh, really? One dance number, though. What's the one dance number? The one where, uh, the, where she's singing in the in the in the theater, right? In the town hall when she go, when the the when uh, Bette Midler does hall, he did the choreography. A, that. That's a dance number. Well, it's the only one in the movie. Uh, all right, I think that's a. I, I think we'll call that interpretive dance. <laughs> <laughs> that's a good way to put it. <laughs> But yes, I did check this. So we've done all three High School Musical films and Newsies, and then this film. We have completed the Kenny Ortega oeuvre once this this is finished. Wow. So Fine. so that's a first in depth look at one director and his evolution over time. Even <laughs> though we did films in reverse order. I guess we did do them. Well, not like literally. We did the trilogy, and then yeah, so we went backwards. Yeah. We we did a lot of time travel because if you've listened to the podcast, you know we like time travel. We do like time travel. Time travel is good. Yes. All right. So Hocus Pocus, like we said, directed by Kenny Ortega. It is about three witch sisters, the Sanderson sisters, played by Bette Midler, Sarah Jessica Parker, and Kathy Najimy, making her second appearance on the show, Kathy Najimy, after we did Sister Act. Yes. Bette Midler and Sarah Jessica Parker, this is their first appearance on the Disney Film Project podcast. Uh, it is stars them. Oddly enough, now, I had never seen this before. I will say this in advance. And I had thought going in that they were the heroes of the piece, <laughs> even though they were the witches. <laughs> and that was not the case. That was not what you got, huh? No. I, no. That was, that was not the case at all, actually. Yeah. So, so did you know that this was not originally written to be a theater movie? But you, uh, that I can find extremely believable. Yeah, no, no, this was going to be one of the uh, the Disney Channel original movies, and then the exec said, "Hey, we can make some serious cash on this in the movie theater." Um, didn't happen. Yeah, I was going to say if I was that exec, I would probably be working at McDonald's right now. No, but the, so, yeah, it didn't happen. But uh, the interesting thing about this movie, right, is despite having been so poorly uh, received in the theaters and panned by numerous newspapers, um, it's a cult favorite for Disney. As most Kenny Ortega films are. Yeah. I, and I by most, I mean two. Yeah. <laughs> that's true, because this and Newsies, I guess, qualify, both qualify as cult favorites, right? Indeed. But basically, the movie has made most of its money, and by most, I mean like like more than eighty percent of its money since it left the theater. <laughs> yeah, on, on DVD and Blu-ray. Yes. Well, now it's newly on Blu-ray because this just yes. came out in August. So. Yes, newly right. on Blu-ray. That's correct. Buy yours today. There. Yes, it's a, it's on sale in many many places for Halloween. So stock up, folks. Yeah. So. Uh, so what do you think of this movie? I mean, it's like a high level. Before we get into like the big thing, before we go into it, I kind of I want to just mix it up and say, you know, you said this wasn't what you were expecting. I mean, uh, I no, no, <laughs> I'd seen it before. Um, I I remembered much more of it than I thought I did. <laughs> but um, uh, I I when you just told me that it was meant to be a Disney Channel original movie, uh, that is exactly what it felt like. Yes, 
Um, I, one of my big things is it's it's a movie made in 1993, and um, if you compare it to another magic movie, which is uh, Bed Knobs and Broomsticks, I think that the magic special effects there in Bed Knobs and Broomsticks are better. Yes, I would agree with that. <laughs> and so I find it. I, I mean, this budget—the budget for this movie—is like practically non-existent. Well, because they had to spend all the money on Bette Midler and Sarah Jessica, Sarah Jessica Parker, but Halloween costumes and Clark bars too. Don't forget. Yes. <laughs> well, I, I don't. I don't remember at the time, but Sarah Jessica Parker probably was not quite as big as she, as she would become. I she was think, between, in nineteen. I. I you're correct. She was just on the verge of uh, getting her big breakout role. Right. Yeah. But I'm sure Bette Midler was not easy. easy. No. No. Yeah. I'm with you. I think probably most of the money of most of the budget probably was paying Bette Midler salary, which is why there are no noticeable actors in any roles besides the witches. Actually, <laughs> I, I have. I do have one. Yes. Um, the guy that was the father, I believe, Charles Rocket. Yes. Is um, was from Touched by an Angel. Yes, he was. He played the, he played one of the uh, the add-on Angel of Deaths. Near and the end um, he's also our Star Wars connection. What did he play in Star Wars, Cheryl? He was a voice in the Star Wars J Starfighter game Nim. There you go. <laughs> right, right there, people. Fair enough. Star Wars reference. Yeah. Yeah, he's he's an interesting actor. He's one of those guys who've always played, you know, like the second string roles and everything. So Yeah. But he's there are a lot of them in this movie. Lot lot of good second stringers in this movie. Because as Ryan said, they couldn't afford anyone else after Bette Midler. Although they oh, did man yeah. I did they did they did manage to afford both Gary and Penny Marshall. I wonder more if it's one of those cases if they were just kind of working on something else at the studio at the time. <laughs> it, because, it may have been. Yeah, I, I, I can't imagine that they you know flew in just for this, for what they did. I mean, we'll talk about what they ended up doing, but yeah, that seems weird. It's just, it, it definitely feels like a TV movie to me, and especially because like if you look at how the narrative flows throughout the movie... It even has like breaks for commercials and for it. commercials. Absolutely. It really does. <laughs> not just that, right? You noticed it's like eighty-one minutes long, which is actually like I think within sixty seconds of the time for a two-hour movie program slot. Yeah, exactly. On television, right? So it's it's like right down to the minute. It's like accurate. <laughs> yeah, it's um. It, it, it just it feels like a TV movie, and I don't say that to malign TV movies. It's just that you hold them to a different standard than a theatrical release, especially one starring Bette Midler. That's the part that I don't understand: is how they how they convinced Bette Midler to do this movie. She was uh, in an interview where she apparently claimed, though I really don't believe this, that this was her favorite movie to make. I can see how it would be fun to make. Yeah, I, I guess. I, I guess. I mean, obviously, they went in, and you could tell the three of them were just like, "Whatever, we're in. We're totally right. in. We're doing this up." You you could tell that the whole movie. Yes. Yeah. It's it's much like I, I wrote my review of a uh, Captain EO after you guys did it. Um, did it on the show earlier with with my beautiful bride, and and what I said in that about Ange- Angelica Houston, which is, you know, she just decided the tone of this thing is. 
over the top, so I'm just going to chew up the scenery and, and overact and play along with the tone of it. And that is exactly what these three did. I mean, they, they just went for it wholeheartedly. And yes. honestly, I think that's why it's a cult favorite, because there is no semblance of like trying to pretend that this is anything that it's not. And I think, honestly, that's what saved it for me from being bad. Yeah, I, I like little like the little touches here and there, like like the way they walk as if they're like one. Yes, <laughs> I, I I kind of just get a kick out of that because they kind of like they sway to the left and the right together, and I don't know how they manage because that's a really hard thing to do for that long, for some of the lengths of periods that they do it for, and uh, I I kind of got a kick get a kick out of that. Yeah. Well, it's also it's it's a pretty schizophrenic film. So the the screenwriter Mick Garris, if you look at any of his um, other credits, yeah, he only writes horror movies or directs horror movies. This is the only movie that would be somewhat appropriate for for kids that he's done. And this movie, in some regard, feel like there's some awful stuff that happens in this. Yes, and, and like near the end where you go for a very long period of time where it's it, okay, it's got witches, but nothing like really like super bad's going on. And then there's a lot of cursing at the end of the movie and stuff like that. Yeah. <laughs> and I don't mean that's like necessarily wrong in a movie, but it was just like you went for so long without it in the movie and then they just start throwing stuff around. Yeah, it's a, it's a definite like tonal shift. I, I agree with you wholeheartedly. But, yeah, it could have just been multiple writers. I mean, that's the other yeah. That's it. that's very true. That's very true. It feels like they gave it to to this Mick Garris guy uh, and let him write a pure horror movie. Then they went back in and put jokes in. And then I imagine the three actresses when they came on set, just like we said, they just kind of went for it and went over the top. And and I would imagine there was a fair amount of ad libbing going on. Yes. Well, you can so you can tell because when she sings the song, right? She gets up and she throws out um, a line to herself uh, for her role in Gypsy. Yes. Right. Yeah. So she, so she does that. She says, "She says, hello, Salem. My name is Winifred. What's yours?" And that's like you know, she goes, "Hello, my name is Rose." That's where that line comes from. Yes. That's, that's the whole Gypsy thing. So I thought that was interesting. Yeah. I will say uh, on the score front, John Debney doing the score quite quite good. I didn't enjoy that, but I almost always do when he yeah. does the score. Or, or the little piece where they kind of sort of do the um, what is it from Wizard of Oz when the the Wicked Witch music is in the background when they're having like the fight at the end. Yes. <laughs> yeah. I like the um, Sarah Jessica Parker's children. The one where she's trying to call all the children. Song. The song, yeah, yeah. Oh, that's actually an Edgar Allan Poe poem that she's reciting. I did not know that. What poem yeah, is it? it it's called "Come, Little Children." Because it's really simple. It's. It, I'll just read like the first thing. So it's "Come, little children, I'll take thee away into a land of enchantment. Come, little children, it's time to come play here in my garden of shadows." Blah blah blah. From there, it's very creepy. Yeah, it is creepy. But it's so, creepy though. No, she it, sings it well. Well, yes. she's also she's like the it, it goes very well with her crazy in the movie. Yes, absolutely. So here here's the thing, right? So there are three witches, right? Before we get into the plot, I figure this is a good time to just bring this up. 
Uh, since Cheryl started it. The Winifred, right, is the only one who's actually got full-on witch powers, near as I can tell. Okay. Right? Because they make mention in the movie, right, that the book of spells is hers. Right? Right, right. She's the, of the three, she's the only one in the whole movie who actually casts actual spells. Right, she's the right. one. Brewing, she's the one brewing the potion, okay. And she mentions that the book is hers. And at one point in the movie, they mentioned that it was her who sold her soul to the devil, not the others. Okay, and it cost her her beauty. They actually mentioned all this throughout the movie. Yes. But the only snafu I have of your little plot there. Tom. I'm not done, but go. <laughs> is that when the girl? takes the book and and read about the salt, Sarah Jessica Parker says something to her. Right. Well, they had... Uh, the impression is, I mean, she her sisters were hanging out with her and were her, like, her sidekick, but it's kind of like how Ursula and the um, the two eels were. I never remember the eels' names, but that's what it reminded me of, the relationship there, is Mary and Sarah, right, because those are their character names, are the eels to Winifred or Winnie. Yeah. Okay, but they have powers too, but they each only have one power, right? Because Sarah can has the ability to call children, like Cheryl said, like a, with a Pied Piper type singing, right? And Mary has the ability to seek children out through smell. Okay. Right, those are their real powers because other than that, it's flying on a broom and they don't do anything without Winifred. The this is very movie. true. So I... I I, I thought that was interesting because I guess I've seen this movie two or three times before. I honestly don't remember. And um, I never noticed that until this time that they're not actually like doing witchy things like she is. Well, that's actually my biggest problem with the whole movie is there's no real consistency about the – you know, we've said this before. Like when you establish a magical universe or, what, or a science fiction universe or whatever, you establish what the rules are. And even if they're fantastic, you stay within those rules, and that's mm -hmm. what makes it believable. And they, they completely fail that in many places in this movie. Like they're, like we talked about the salt, or w the main one is the hallowed ground, right, where the, where the kids are in the cemetery. Like the, the witches aren't supposed to be able to touch them there, but it, the whole last fight takes place in that cemetery in hallowed ground, and the witches are touching the children. No, yes. not to touch the ground. But they weren't touching the ground. I think that's what they were saying. I don't think they explained it right in the movie, but my interpretation was it was like typical hallowed ground type thing, which is they just can't set foot on it, so they were flying over it. That's, right. why, so she then, turned to, that's why she turned into but a mumble burst at the end. Right, because she set her foot down. So I f Remember, because as soon as she sets her feet down, she right. starts to become the – turn into stone. So. so So then why hide there versus anywhere else? I, that's a good question. Because the cat <laughs> told them to. Honestly, right, if you know that there here, – here's one problem I have, okay? And I know we're really jumping the gun because this is the end of the movie game, right? So if, you ha if something is defeated by sunshine, you should automatically start heading in the direction of the sun. One would think, yes. Right. I mean that's the logical story because that makes the sunrise happen faster. So if they need her and they, need, and they want her and they want him, right, that you, you just all get together and you drive that direction. You had a car. <laughs> yeah, the, the, the kids in this movie were not very smart. Let's, let's just have that as a given. 
yes. Yeah, I, I was not impressed with the thinking of of our our hero or or his girlfriend or his sister. None none of them really impressed me with their ingenuity. Well, she did. Say. She impressed me because she actually read and opened the book, although the cat told them not to. But that's how, and that's how she found out the salt thing. I think, yes. yeah, I I really think that she um, shouldn't have listened to you know whatever. I mean, I understand he thought reading the book meant more danger, but. I well, think you know, reading the book helped them a lot. My, my my feeling is, you know, every book of magic should, in its preface, contain the way to defeat all the spells inside of it. I agree with that. That should happen. <laughs> Not that it didn't make for good plot, though. I mean, to be honest, the salt thing was a good little touch because it was funny watching her like fight them off with like a canister of salt. That was weird. <laughs> but that was worked. weird. Well, it worked until you ran out of salt. Well, yes, but you know, right? So, like a right, so a grocery store might have been a better choice than the graveyard at that point, right? I'm thinking it also it also has a roof where they can't fly through it. A roof, yes. Well, good point. Hadn't even thought of that. <laughs> um, yeah, so it's it's interesting. You know what I read that was uh, interesting? So. Um, we mentioned that this takes starts with the Salem Witch Trials, right? The the movie that's where it yes. opens, and uh, we see a book dated 1693 titled Hocus Pocus. So it starts with that old style Disney thing, right, where it's got the book opening. Now, here's the interesting thing, right? This I don't know how they managed to do the 300 year thing exactly because the movie was released in 1993. It really was 300 years because the Salem Witch Trials were really going on in 1693. I think that was just a happy accident would be my guess. It, it is, but it's kind of cool in the same way. Now, you want to see something really interesting? Or here's something really interesting. Is uh, Sarah Jessica Parker. I don't know. Did you watch this episode of uh, Who Do You Think You Are, Cheryl? Yes, I did. Yeah. Do you remember what she learned in that episode? Yes. Yeah. You want to talk about it? That she's related to the witches. Yes. She was related not just to the, to the witches, but she was related to Esther Elwell who is uh, famous for being like the very last of the Salem Witch Trials because basically the the court ended with her because she got away. She basically, you know, there was the end of the Salem Witch Court. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I thought that was interesting that she did this movie and then was tied back to being a, a part of it all. Have either of you ever been to Salem? Um, um, yes. Yes, we lived in Massachusetts. I, I know, that's why I asked. <laughs> we yes, were, I, um... We actually used to do um, a renaissance fair at this castle in Salem. Yes, we did. And yeah. it has, and that also had a weird back to background to it. <laughs> yes, and I also had a, a friend while I was in college that lived out in Salem, right in the heart of Salem. It was kind of cool. You got to stay in the heart of Salem, right near all the buildings and stuff, near some of the places where the witch trials actually occurred. Right. Yeah, I went about ten years ago with with my wife before we had children, and. Um, all, I had to say when watching this, we, we had to say, yes, uh, the fact that these folks are obsessed with witches is, is very true based on our visit there. Cause we were, we were, we were there and of course, you know, you go there and you want to learn about that sort of thing. And then you, you go and that's all anyone in town talked to you about. Even when I was eating lunch. <laughs> That was yeah. kind of concerning. Well, you know, it's, it's it's their thing. Yes, and and if you go and they try to get you to go to the Salem Witch Museum, 
um, don't do that if you have children because they they have wax dummies that show you how they executed all the witches, which is very scary. Yes. Just my little public service announcement for you for you parents out there. Leave your kids at home. Supervise. Take take your kids to um, (laughs) take your kids to Boston Children's Museum instead. All right. So in 1693, we are located in Salem, Massachusetts, as Todd mentioned. It opens with a book called Focus, and we have Thackeray Binks, who uh, in his I don't know what you call it, his big flowing blouse. His poofy shirt. His poofy shirt, yes. Uh, his notices, pirate shirt. There we go. Pirate yes. boy shirt. There we go, pirate, yes. Pirate his, boy shirt. His Orlando Bloom in the first Pirates movie shirt. There we go. Yes. Wakes up and sees his sister Emily being lured into the woods by an old hag, an old old witch woman, basically. Uh, and he goes to his friend. He couldn't find her at first, so he goes to his friend looking for her, and they, find, they see her, sends his friend to go get the help. And chases her into the woods where he ends up in this house that is the home of the Sanderson sisters, which is Winifred, played by Bette Midler, Mary, played by Kathy and Jimmy, and Sarah, played by Sarah Jessica Parker. And they are trying to brew a potion that they will absorb the life force of these young children, uh, starting with Emily, in order to make them more beautiful or more happy. Because when we first see them, they are very, 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 very ugly. All of them. Very Mm -hmm. ugly. I mean, very ugly. Way ugly. Yes, very much so. Totally. So Thackeray comes in and tries to stop them from from doing all of this. Uh, unfortunately, he is too late. Emily is forced to drink the potion, and Winifred, Mary, and Sarah suck the life force out of Emily while they subdue Thackeray, uh, and, and they turn into these younger, somewhat better-looking witches. <laughs> I mean, Kathy and Jimmy has this weird mouth thing going on, um, Bette Midler has the teeth, protruding <laughs> teeth thing. I'm not sure what that's all about. It's very awkward to watch the whole movie. It, it very much is, yes. And Sarah Jessica Parker looks like Sarah Jessica Parker. I, I, I don't know if she wrote that in her contract or what, but she looks pretty much the same with heavy eye makeup. Yeah, yeah, basically, yeah, and the white hair. Yes, True. Yeah, she she definitely got the better end of the makeup deal. Let's put it that way. The better end of the Well, yeah. Well, I guess they were trying to build her as a star back then, so like yeah. you said, so could be. But so Thackeray finally is is he's subdued and Emily's de- died because the the witches sucked the life force out of her and they're trying to figure out what they're going to do to Thackeray and they transform him into a black cat and curse him with immortality. So in other words, he has to live with the guilt of watching his sister die and the fact that he couldn't do anything to prevent it uh, for the rest of his life, but he must do so as a cat. Yeah. I'm not sure what the cat part has to do with it. It's a, because it's a witch movie and they needed a black cat. That's pretty much all I could come up with as well. Yeah, that's what I got out of it. Yeah. Uh, but the townspeople come finally... This first part goes on for a bit. Did you notice that? It's a little long. Yeah. Uh, finally, the townspeople come because, I mean, Thackeray sent his buddy right before he came in, and he's in that house for a good ten minutes or so. Uh, but they finally come in, and they, they catch all the witches, uh, set them up to hang, and they will refuse to say what they have done to Thackeray. Uh, they hang for the fact that they have cursed Emily. But before they hang, uh, Winifred calls out to the book, 
because apparently she and the book have this sort of clapper-esque relationship where if she sings to it, it does stuff for her. <laughs> yeah. I didn't quite understand that part. But it that's was her buddy. Me. Yes. And so when they do, when she does that, it, the book reveals to her or she somehow works a spell with the book. I wasn't quite clear on that. But one way or another, they would be brought back to life on Halloween night when a virgin would summon them back from the dead, and they would claim all the children in Salem. That's sort of the prophecy that would come to pass. And then they get hanged. And then they get hanged. And poor Thackeray is trying to get the attention of the townspeople, and his father, I believe it is, kicks him away. Yes. Now, now here is another case where I do not understand, because later in the film, we find out that Thackeray, the cat, can talk. As Cheryl has mentioned, he drives most of the decisions in the movie. I'm thinking he may not have realized he could do that until after that point, though. I'm guessing, but still. I'm guessing also, had they heard about a talking cat, that they would have killed, killed that cat, too. This is a very valid point. And maybe he, he thought, well, I'll make, maybe I'll have more better luck in 300 years. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good point. Yeah, although to be fair, if you told somebody now that you made a decision based on a talking cat, you might be in a little bit of trouble. True. Yes. But they wouldn't actually go hang and kill you. Uh, it, it, depends, would... it depends on what the cat told you to do. I'm yes. not saying in and general. What you did as a result. I'm yes. not saying in general. They, they it had had the cat talked back then. He would all been gone. Well, I've gone you, poof. You're, no movie. You're probably right. Yeah, no movie. <laughs> very, very, very correct in this. Okay, so, all right. So we flash forward to 1993, and we realize that this story is being told by a teacher in a school in Salem, Massachusetts. And one of the kids in the class is not having it, and he's not interested in the story of the Sanderson sisters. And that's Max Dennison, who is sitting in the, in the classroom in his tie-dye shirt because he, he's just moved from Los Angeles. He's, he's not interested whatsoever. Another girl in the class, Allison, corrects him and says, well, you know, that, that could be true, all this kind of stuff. And he makes the move to give her his phone number, which I have to say, very smooth of Max, the last smooth thing that he does in the entire film. <laughs> yes. All of Max's coolness in one scene. Yeah, that's pretty much he expends every bit of coolness he has in the classroom. And even right after that, when they leave the classroom and he sidles up to her after, you know, I, I guess in the quad, I don't know what you'd call it. Uh, yeah, all of his coolness was gone at that point. Because she gives back his number. Yeah, she does. Which I didn't understand that in context with the rest of the movie either. But in, you know, in that particular sequence of events, it does make sense. But whatever. Yeah. So he is leaving to go home on his bicycle. He gets accosted by a couple of buddies, uh, bullies rather, buddies. At first, I thought they were going to be but potential buddies because they were hanging out in the graveyard, uh, and they did seem to like the fact that he was from Los Angeles. But then it took a wicked turn because they stole his shoes. Yes. They're like they're like Jay and not so silent Bob. But nowhere near as funny. No, nowhere near. And kids don't watch Jay and Silent Bob movies ever. No, stay away. Yes. But so Max goes home, and of course, without his shoes, he's he's just gotten the number back from Allison. He's all depressed, so he goes 
home and he has to deal with his parents who are all excited about moving to Salem who apparently have not unpacked their house even though it's Halloween night and they're going to go out and party. Yeah, I there's awkward timeline. Yes. Not the first so. movie that has awkward timeline. No, not at all. Uh, and his younger sister, Danny, is hiding in his room in her witch costume and wants him to take her out for trick-or-treating. That seemed weird, too. Well, you know. <laughs> yeah, and she's a little bratty about it, too. Yes. And we should mention Danny is played by Thora Birch, who's probably the, the, the best-known actress, actor, outside of the three witches in the whole movie. Not for what she had done at the time, but for what she would go on to do in other movies. Uh, so, so Max is forced to take her out, trick or treating. Uh, takes her out very, very, very begrudgingly. Uh, it's it's strange. This is where I felt like it evol- it devolved into you know TV movie land because we we had no Bette Midler, no Sarah Jessica Parker, no Kathy and Jimmy. It was much more like these kids and their their drama with their family and sisters and moving to a new town and all this kind of stuff that I'm like, wow, this is like High School Musical or, <laughs> you know, any number of other Disney Channel movies that I have seen. Yes. Yeah, no, I know. And then they uh, they fight a bit, and then they mysteriously end up at Allison's house. Yes. Although I, it could have been not so mysterious. It could have been, you know, just the subconscious magical draw of Allison. She's a latent witch because she lives in Salem. All right, we'll take it. Sold. Yeah. <laughs> But it turned Allison's house turns out to be a large mansion uh, because they go in and uh, they they make this joke about oh they're going to serve a cider and cookies or something you know basically make you know look down upon us and everyone in the mansion is dressed in some sort of colonial wear for reasons that are unexplained. Yeah, well, I thought it was like an old-fashioned Victorian uh, costume ball. That's what was going on. Because it was Halloween, so they were upscaling their costume ball. Right. It, here, well, it makes sense within the co- concept of it being Halloween, but yeah. why everyone's dressed in the same Victorian gear, and she says, we do this every year, and I'm like, oh, oh, okay. That seems like it should be important, but maybe not. I'm thinking the aristocracy goes to party at Allison's house, and then everybody else goes to town hall. That's what it, that is definitely what it seems like. There's some class warfare going on in Salem. Yeah, that's what I think. Yes. Because they killed all the witches, except these three. Well, at least for a time they did. Yes. Because Max, it, you know, when, when he finds out that it's Allison in there, he's like, oh, yeah, we love trick-or-treating. I love taking my little my little <laughs> sister out. And he's talking about – and his little sister confesses that he, he's been talking about Allison's yabos, which I thought was wildly inappropriate and out of place. Yes, but like I said, there are a few uh, wildly inappropriate moments in this movie. Yes, that's – yes. Because again, if, if you consider that this is – even though it was released in theaters, it was still intended to be a kid's movie. Or, or at least at, at the outside a family movie, right? Yes, that's true. Yeah. It's definitely – I'm sure they wanted it to be you know, the whole family comes out and this is their Halloween treat sort of a thing. Um, even though it was released in July, I'm thinking that might have had something to do with the the poor box office. Just 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 thinking out loud here. Summerween, just like Gravity Falls. 
All right, so moving on, back to Hocus Pocus. Uh, when Max and Allison start talking, uh, he starts, you know, again, going in on the fact that he doesn't believe about the, the Sanderson sisters, and Allison lets slip, well, you know, the house is now a museum, or at least it was. They finally closed it down because all kinds of sweet things were happening there. Uh, and Max says, well, let's go check it out. Let's go look at it. It's Halloween. You know, let's go do something fun like that. And so Allison decides to sneak out with them. They go to the old Sanderson house, and of course it has all these you know, museum things to it, uh, velvet ropes and glass cases and all this kind of stuff. And while they're there, Max sees this black flame candle, and, and Allison says, you know, the rumor is that that will raise the spirits of the dead. And of course he's, he does not believe that this will happen, and he lights the candle because that's what you have to do in a horror movie is the wrong thing. Make yes. the wrong choices. You you must make the choice. That's yes. very clear in every horror movie. You make a bad choice and that's what brings the monster forward. They also point out some fairly graphic things like like the the book, right? They look at the book for a little bit. They and there's this the plaque that says that the book is made out from human skin. Yes, which right? is very disturbing as well. Right. And then the candle, the black flame candle is made from the fat of a hanged man. You caught that refer- that little statement as well, right? Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I, I, yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's just like I said, it's very, very strange. It's, it, it's like a, there's a horror movie that's in this, and then there's the Disney Channel, you know, made for TV movie of the week, <laughs> and they tried to put them together. Like you said, I mean, a horror movie writer wrote this, so or at least yeah. part of it. So that's probably why. I mean, remember how you were saying that the uh, the beginning scene was a little drawn out. This this scene is also a little drawn out because once he lights the flame, then for like ten minutes, fire just dances all over the room. Yes. Yeah. Because yeah, he lights it, and then all of a sudden, like, things start shaking, and there's fire lighting candles, and you know, all kinds of things happening. Uh, we all know what's going to happen because we saw the prologue. So get on with it. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I was definitely feeling that. And I felt deprived because, like you said, they go through this whole the book's made of human skin and the, the candle's made from this and all these horrible things have happened here. And I felt deprived that we did not see the sisters claw their way out of the grave. I'm just saying. They just walked through the front door. Pretty True. as ever. There is that, yes. Relatively speaking. I'm just saying if you're going to go the horror route, that would have been the way to go. Right, or at least do something cooler like they like were trapped in a picture. You know, like have it like – or pop out of the candle, yeah. something interesting like that. Use more special effects. Yeah, I don't, they didn't use many in the, in the whole movie, which no. I found interesting. They did, it seems like they did, they did rely a lot on practical effects and then sort of CG – I don't even know if it would have been CGIing or, or, or what it would have been of putting in things like, you know, like her lightning when she attacks – Thackeray Binks and things like that. That didn't look to be computerized. That looked to be drawn on the film. Yeah, that's what I thought too. Yeah, and the uh, and then of course they liked uh, colored smoke because it or smoke that was lit up with a light. Yeah, very into that in this movie. And reversing the film, they used that trick a few times too. They did use the reversing the film trick. Yes. But anyway, the, so the three witches come in, uh, Winifred and. And Sarah come into the house. Uh, the, the the kids try to hide, and Mary starts sniffing things out. Like you mentioned, that is her power, right? She sniffs out kids. children. Yes. 
she finds Danny, but before she can do anything, Max jumps in the way and he tricks them all and says he's a wizard and uses his lighter to summon the burning rain of death. Which is actually him setting off the sprinkler system because remember, this was a museum. It's not the cottage anymore. It's a museum and there's a sprinkler. And he sets off the burning rain of death and they manage to escape. Uh, but before they go, Binks the cat jumps in his way and tells him to get the spell book. And his yes. reaction is okay and he goes back in and gets the spell book. My reaction would have been kick the cat and run. <laughs> <laughs> but but bad things would have happened. I, I'm not denying that. I'm just saying the natural reaction in that standpoint is when a cat starts talking to you after three women have just come back from the dead and threatened to suck the life out of your sister, you run. You don't do what the cat says. So um, it's interesting that this scene is set up to parallel the opening scene a little bit. Absolutely. Right. It's intentionally done. Same house, same things going on, etc. So, and they escape. Yeah, well, it's it's set up that way because, as we see later, it's like now he and, and Binks are intertwined, right? That's the whole point is he's doing what Binks couldn't do. True. That, and in that, that is a very sense, good point. Yeah. yeah, in that sense, the parallel structure makes sense. Uh, but, but there's so many diversions between here and there that it kind of goes off track a little. I agree. Yeah, but they, they do they do escape, uh, and Binks leads them to the graveyard, telling them about the sisters, telling them what's going on with them, uh, and he takes them to the graveyard, which is the hallowed ground. The witches can't set foot on hallowed ground, but they can you know ride their broomsticks, which they do, over the hallowed ground. And so Winifred, since they can't swoop down and touch them, as of right now, apparently later they can do that. <laughs> Just saying, I don't want to get it. Fair enough. So, but Winifred, in order to get to the children, uh, summons her, her old flame, Billy Butcherson, who she she showed his mouth shut with a needle, so vulture secrets, and he she raises him as a zombie. But the other half of that was he also had a, apparently a fling with Sarah. They do mention that. That's why yes, she they sewed, they sewed him out because he. He cheated on on uh, Winifred with Sarah. Um, so here's my problem with this. If you can raise one dead guy as a zombie, why not just raise them all? Yep. Exactly. That is exactly what I was thinking. You know, like, you start seeing things rise up. I'm like, oh, they're going to be in a cemetery full of zombies. This movie just took a turn I did not expect. However... No, it's just the one guy. Right. I think it's, it's because the only one guy would listen to her. She could, so she thought she thought she could command him, which we'll find out later. She's always wrong about that. <laughs> Not so much. Not so much. But um, but which I think that, I think it, had they just, had we just had random zombies zombies come, they would have had their own agendas, and she wouldn't have been able to help them help her to her agenda. I guess. Yeah. Fair enough. But then it, he loses his head. Yes, for which he does frequently. And by the way, if you look on IMDb, which I was doing as I was watching, yeah. there are two separate Billies. Yeah, so the the reason is because they have to find someone who is the same height, but they can put the headless makeup on, right? Yes. The same height minus the head. 
So they had to figure that out. That's why they do that. Yes, uh, which is strange. The whole headless Billy and headed Billy stuff is strange. Because they knock his head off as they escape into the sewer. Uh, and, and that's Binks leads them through the sewer uh, while the sisters have to go and find another way to track the children. Uh, and it's Mary who starts sniffing and they, they, they find a bus. Uh, not not after forming their calming circle. Yes, which I have to think it was an ad lib. Is there was, any way that was in the script? I have I I can't imagine that it was, but it was so funny because you know why I, I agree with you there because if you look at the look on Bette Midler's face when Kathleen and Jimmy turns to her and says that she's like it's like a what are you doing? Yes, exactly. <laughs> And and the, you you almost get this look between them like, huh? What are we supposed to do? <laughs> and they finally form their calming circle and, and kind of jump around together. And then the bus comes and the bus driver is hitting on them. <laughs> Very odd. Mostly Sarah. Mostly Sarah. That's true. Because Sarah's Sarah then Sarah's driving the bus. We'll see. Yes. Lap. Yeah, Sarah's driving his bus while sitting in the lap, and then Binks and everyone leans out of the manhole cover, which apparently there's only one of in town, because we use it many times. Yeah, and Binks gets run over. Yeah, and Binks gets run over, which they then come out of the manhole and see Binks sort of inflate like a balloon, because he can't die. That's that's his curse. Well, you know, what works works, right? Yeah. And again, it had to be practical effects. You know what I'm saying? Like, they literally stuck a balloon in a cat and blew it up. Not <laughs> no, a lie. That wasn't a real cat, yes. Yeah, yeah not no. a lie. Not a real cat. He, he knew that he meant that. Yeah, yeah. Not a live cat. That would Kids, be wrong. Don't go sticking balloons in your cats. That <laughs> no, would be bad. No, don't do that. <laughs> that would be horrible. <laughs> so then Max and everyone else runs off and... This is this part of the movie. So up to this point, I'm I'm with them, right? I'm I'm like, okay, this is things are a little drawn out, but it's okay. I understand where we're going with this, and it's a fun sort of Halloween movie, right? Yes. But it's still there's still like a threat there. You know what I'm saying? Like the witches are going to chase them down, and they're going to suck the life out of the children. And then they can't figure out what's going on because it's Halloween. They see all these ghouls and goblins running around. And they're like, what in the world's going on? This is where are all the children all we see are these ghouls and goblins and they see a man dressed as the devil and mistake him for their master (laughs) before that when they first see the kids right she exclaims odd bondkins which is really interesting because they make this whole thing where they talk about like you just said satan is their master right yes and she and odds bodkins is a swear on god's body you know it's an it's a anglican swear yes but it's you know it's it's a safety swear you know like one where you you make it to you know for positive things not negative things so it's kind of an odd swear for the witch who worships Satan to be saying it is yeah also odd Gary Marshall, Marshall. in a skin tight red <laughs> Satan costume <laughs> yes but on the other here's the thing right it's like. But that's Gary Marshall's stick, right? He—that's he, what he does. I mean, he, you listen to him talk, and he dresses weirdly, or or gets on stage, and he just does himself. That okay? True. You know, that's his stick, and that's what's going on here. And it's strange. It is strange. Yes. 
he invites them in. Like, he has the whole front of his house done up with flames and all this other stuff, and he invites them into his lair. Now, the fact that once they get past the front door and there are no flames and it looks like a normal living room doesn't tip them off is very funny. Well, he seems to have magic powers, right? Like the television set and things that they haven't seen before. Yes. Keep keep that in mind. And then Penny Marshall was Medusa? Yes. (laughs) That was funny, yes. Penny Marshall was Medusa. That was very funny. Yeah, so Gary Gary Marshall and Penny Marshall are brother and sister and they were doing they were play doing a cup they're playing a couple here, so cute. Yes. And Penny Marshall has curlers in her hair, like like Cheryl said, so she appears to be Medusa. But meanwhile, you know, Satan, quote unquote, is trying to like make time with Sarah. He's you know, giving them all Clark bars and Winifred sneaking around in the kitchen and like you talk about ad libs and things going on too long. Like I feel like they just put these five people in a house and said go. <laughs> that is very possible. I like that like Sarah Jessica Parker is constantly referring to him as master. <laughs> like the entire scene. I think he liked it too. <laughs> is is what I'm saying. Yeah, I think that was half the point, yes. Yes. Yeah. It was it it was very strange, but uh, while while Winnie is is in the house, you know, and and they're doing their their thing there, Max and the others are trying to figure out a way to you know get some help, right? So they policemen they try to talk to the policeman. The policeman basically tells them you know go away with that stuff. And he wasn't a real cop. Yeah, and then when they walk away, it turns out he was dressed up as a cop. D- did you catch that before the witches went into Gary Marshall's house? Because his character has no name, so I, Gary Marshall's house. <laughs> yes, exactly. They, they leave their brooms outside, right? And then in the middle, while they're inside, like three kids dressed like them, because they were dressed like as the sisters for Halloween, take their brooms, and then you hear them whoosh like they flew off, but you never hear from them again. No, not at all. <laughs> <laughs> I thought that was just like, like they threw the, the, the one-off thing. It always gets me in movies like this. Yeah, it's completely bizarre. Yeah, because they don't reference it ever again. Well, they uh, do when they go looking for the brooms. But... Right, right. When they leave the house and the brooms aren't there, they got to f- figure out something else to do. Because the kids go to the, the town hall. Like we mentioned, their their parents were going to the party at the town hall. So Allison and Max and uh, and Danny go to town hall, and they try to tell their parents what's going on. Their parents are like, you're crazy. You did not bring witches back from the dead. Go home so we can have our get our groove on and have our dance party. Uh, unfortunately, the witches show up right in the middle of the party. Max jumps on stage, steals the microphone, and says, Look, it's the Sanderson sisters. They're here, they're alive, and they're going to kill everybody. And it's horrible. And that's when, what we talked about before, uh, Bette Midler steps onto stage and starts singing, which we did not mention in the prologue. She sang a song to try and curse all of the townsfolk. So that's what she's doing here. She's singing a song to curse all the townsfolk for them to dance until they die. Yep. Um, I wanted to comment here about the weird exchange between the daughter and the mother. Oh, yeah. About, <laughs> oh, oh, yeah. Dress as Madonna. <laughs> Awkward. Especially with the cone, the cone bra. <laughs> I think that was, the, that was the weirder part of the two. Yes. Though Madonna really did basically wear that costume, so 
Yeah, at that exact time in in history, yes. Yes. So you can't deny that. Uh, so the true. kids, the kids bail as soon as they start casting the spell because they don't want to be affected by it. Right. Meanwhile, the parents are getting busy. Is what I'm saying. They are getting down. They're dancing. They're going crazy. They're following the spell. Yep. Uh, but the kids. So so this is where again to be like okay. So now we're back to the threat aspect right because billy comes rambling through you know trying to swipe at him as the zombie and everything so this is when they get the idea that they need to to get the witches right they need to do something to to end the threat and the kids are going to have to do it so they quote unquote lure them to the high school by as far as i can tell doing nothing whatsoever except waiting for them to come to the high school oh yeah yeah I guess, I mean, they kind of do this thing where they lead them through the school with sound, right? One sound, like, Max is distracting them, but they've set up the boombox to attract, to attract them. Right. No, that's once they get to the school. My question yeah. is, how did, they, how did they get them to the school? Teleportation. Okay. Smell. That's, okay. I, yeah, I guess they were trapped. Remember, okay, so before they, they get this idea, they, their witches are tr- on their trail – but they stop by a fish restaurant, and some, the smell of fish is enough to distract Mary's sense of smell for children. That's right. Okay. Yeah. So I guess when they move out of the fish place, then they're able to be tracked again. Maybe that's it. Yeah. But that's, that's where they get the idea of what they want to do, right? Because they hide next to a, a, an old discarded oven. So what they decide to do is they lure them into the high school kiln, and yeah. then they, they set the sisters on fire – uh, burden them, and the, the the smoke goes out into the sky, and and we all live happily ever after. Yes, end of movie done. Goodbye, everybody. Right for the next ten minutes. Yeah. Um. So it's interesting if the the burning in the furnace, right? I mean, Cheryl made a point that it might be a reference to Hansel and Gretel when we were watching last night, but I actually think that because the guy was a horror writer, this is actually a reference to what the parents did to Freddy Krueger. I I would agree with you on that. Right, That's because, what it felt like to me. Yeah. Yeah, because I was exact because it was like the same furnace and everything like that. So, those of you who have wa- watched that Nightmare on Elm Street movies, children, that's not you. You don't do that. No, no, not no, at all. no. But people who are familiar with the series will know exactly what I'm talking about. Children, and go watch Hansel and Gretel. You'll get my idea. <laughs> Good enough. Yeah, Doug. There you go. All right. <laughs> yes, uh, but it's it is just bizarre, right? Because the kids go back to Max's house and they're just hanging out and they're talking about how Binks is going to be their cat and Allison and Max are snuggling and it's and it goes on for a while. It's very drawn out. And and you're just like again, I hadn't seen this before and Sally leaned over and says, "Is that the end of the movie?" I'm like, I don't think so, because we should have about half an hour to go. Um, but it feels like the end of the movie. <laughs> I mean, even the music score, everything, like, leads you to believe it's kind of the end of the movie. But no, because the sisters reform. Yeah. This is our reversing the uh, reversing the film trick, because the sisters, you know, they turn into this green smoke that goes out of the chimney, and the green smoke goes back down the chimney, they walk out of the furnace, and she sings to the book, which doesn't do her any good, but they try to open the book, 
to help Thackeray Binks and turn him out from being a cat. And the kids, yes. Yeah, the kids do. And that leads them leads the witches to them. And they find the book, they steal Danny. Before the but before the salt. That's right. The kids find out about the salt at this point too. That's important. This is true. Yes. Yeah. But um also because they don't have their brooms and they're at home. Yeah. There's only one broom, which goes to Winifred. Sarah, whose head looks like a mop, gets to ride on a mop. Yeah. Right, which is honestly, I think that's why her hair looked like that the whole movie was so that they could have that moment where she, her head is a mop and she's riding the mop, I swear. And then Catherine and Jimmy's character, um, Mary there, gets a vacuum cleaner to ride on. Which you, you may remember we talked about that in our Halloween episode, right? It's the riding on the – from last year we talked about that with her riding on the vacuum Yes, we cleaner. did. So. Yes. Probably the most quote-unquote iconic image from this movie. Yes, and if by iconic you mean burnt indelibly into your soul, yes. <laughs> I wasn't going to go that far, but okay. Yeah, that works. So they take Danny back to the Sanderson Museum cottage home base thing. Uh, but unfortunately, they, they don't have the book. Right? They also it's, summon all the other children. Right? Yes. Yeah. They start summoning the children to come there. But they don't have the book because they can't remember – and they can't remember the ingredients to the potion. Right? Because they have to, they have to be done by that, by that end of that – right? They have to suck all the life out of the children by the end of that night because the candle only brought them back for that one night. Right, so if they don't have another way to continue living, then they turn to dust. They make right. this whole th – this is the end game. This is when right. the end game starts. Yes. And, and so that when they manage to get back to the house, then, then Max and Allison chase them, uh, and they, they're able to trick the sisters again <laughs> because they're not that bright. No, they're not because, like, they go – it is really, again, because they go through this whole thing with the burning fire in the beginning, and then, again, they trick them with red cellophane paper on headlights to make them think the sun is rising outside. So they act like they're burning to death when they could easily just say, hey, you know what? We're not burning to death. <laughs> yeah. You would uh, think I, that would – they would figure that part out. You know what yes, I'm saying? I agree. Yeah. And this is the point in the movie when the kids should have kept driving towards the actual sun. Yeah, because yeah, they're in a the, – the way that they fool them is they shine the headlights into the, the Sanderson cottage and make them think that the sun is coming up. Even though the light that they are flashing into the cottage is clearly like bright red. Yeah, it's not the best job, but apparently they've never seen the sun. That's near as I can tell. That's all I'm guessing, right? Uh, but so Max manages to get Danny and Binks out, and and they get into the the car and drive back to the graveyard, uh, where they encounter Billy the zombie again. Because of course Winifred and her sisters are flying overhead. Uh, Billy manages to use a knife to cut the stitches open, and apparently that means he doesn't have to listen to what Winnie tells him to do anymore. I, I'm guessing that part of his curse had been that when his mouth was sewn shut, he she he couldn't talk back. But once he could talk back, he had his free will back. Yeah, that's, how I that's what I had. That. That's what I had to guess. There's a lot of you have to basically fill in the blanks. There are blanks to be filled. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. 
um, it's strange. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. No argument. Yeah. So now, so now Billy the zombie is on their side, which again seems strange because he's been chasing them pretty much the entire movie. Like I said, I think he got his free will back, so he was able to do what he wanted to do, not be told what to do. So I think it's some... yeah. No, I, I agree with the the plot standpoint no, of it. It's is this weird? weird? Yes, thank you, Cheryl. It is well, very he, weird. It's he a, is a he's a he's a zombie, but he's a good zombie. <laughs> which is what they say in the movie, which is again weird. Weird. So, but what they end up what ends up happening is because so now Winifred is obsessed with sucking the life from Danny. Because she they, called her they, ugly. Yes, because she called her ugly when they were in the cottage. So, so this is this is bad news because, and somehow the kids have figured out that, that she's not going to go for anybody else. And they put Danny in Billy's grave, and weird, and yes. circle it with salt because the witches cannot cross salt. So now here's my problem. It, you're, we're saying they can't set foot on the ground. Right, so they put her in a hole, surround her with salt. Yet the witches can't cross the salt, but in the first place they can't get on the ground to get near the salt. Couldn't they just fly down, pick her up out of the middle of the salt? They could. They could. You know what else, though? You know what their biggest mistake was? Instead of doing a circle, they should have done a Mobius strip of salt because then they wouldn't know which was the inside <laughs> and the outside, and they'd be completely trapped no matter where they were. I'm thinking that would have taken, you know, these ninth graders a bit of time. Yes. Think about it, folks. What I said makes sense. It it does. I just don't think that these <laughs> kids were capable of pulling it off. Because it should be noted, right? We we talk a lot about characters and their goals and motivations and things, or at least I do. Um, there are no, there is no character development in this movie. No. And the kids are just thrown together, and they stay together. Except for the relationship between Allison and Max. I disagree. I really think the Allison and Max relationship does grow. And I also think Max Max's relationship with his sister grows. I'll just say, I, I really like those two plot points. No, I'll agree that, they, that, they, that those two things change. But it doesn't change who the character is so much as it's just their relationship with others, which I guess is a small change. But they're very much like like you could you could sub those those three kids in with the kids from half a dozen other Disney Channel movies, and you wouldn't really make much of a difference. I guess is what I'm saying. I could agree with that. I don't know what you're saying, so. <laughs> I don't know what you're saying, Ryan, but I, I'm I'm saying I agree it didn't have to be those three kids. It could be any three kids, but I think the characters themselves had to had to move the way they moved. Fair enough. Fair enough. So this is this is the big climactic fight scene, right? Because the 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 witches are flying overhead, and they are trying to capture Danny. And we have them running around. We have Max and Allison are grabbing the the uh, the cord of the vacuum to keep them from to keep the witches from falling down and grabbing uh, grabbing each other. Sarah and Mary are carried up that way, and then Winifred does finally manage to grab Danny. Yep. Uh, but but Binks runs up. A, like a succession of like six different trees, it feels like. Might be. Yeah, because he Binks runs for a guy. while. It's Binks the Wonder Cat. Is. 
I, I believe he was on Saturday Night Live driving a car at some point. I saw him at Ringling Brothers the other day. There we go. He runs up like 800 trees, jumps onto Winifred, knocks the potion out of her hand, and Max, and again, don't understand this, rather than let the potion fall on the ground and smash, therefore eliminating any chance that Winifred would have to suck the life out of anyone, catches it, and they're at sort of a standoff at that point. Did anyone understand why he would do that? Because she still had Danny in the air. That's what I figured. Yeah. He he needed to have a leverage to get her to release Danny. And one thing we didn't cover is that Danny left the circle assault to go get Billy's head. That's right. This is true. Danny loves her Billy and loves her Binks. Yes, because she all of a sudden just changed from not liking the zombie to liking the zombie because he's a good zombie now. Good zombie. Right. Ah, good zombie. Yes. And, but so the deal, they're they're in this standoff because Winifred can't steal Danny's life force without the potion, and Max isn't going to give her the potion until he's got Danny, and it's a thing, and then it's a back and a forth, and so finally Max just decides to drink it himself, right? So Dan, Winnie has to drop Danny, picks up Max, but Allison and Danny and Billy, like we said, they grab the 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 cord, and both Winifred and Max are there. He manages to knock Winifred to the ground. And like we said at the beginning, she turns into a statue because the sun comes up as she's trying to suck the life out of him. Which, by the way, in the prologue, they suck the life out of Emily in, what, two seconds? Yes. And in this part, it goes on for about two or three minutes, and she's not able to suck the life force out of Max before the sun comes because up. Because I think he's older? This is, see, this is, the, this is my question with oh. the whole thing. Because I was questioning if he even classifies as a child. I would agree. So I'm just, I'm just guessing it took longer because he's older, and so he could fight. He had will, more willpower to fight her more than a child did. We'll have to ask the dude from Chitty Chitty Bang Bang. Let's ask Kenny Ortega if we ever get him. Well, I think now that we have done all of his movies on this show, I think we deserve to get him. Come on down, Kenny. That's right. We promise we'll be nice. Absolutely. But yes, they, they manage to fight them off until the sun comes up. Winifred turns into a statue uh, and the, because she stepped on the ground. And then uh, Sarah and Mary just sort of explode in this sort of shower of light. And then finally Winifred's statue explodes. Yes. You know what I read? So have you ever, have you ever been in uh, Planet Hollywood, first of all? Yes. The one down here in Orlando, I mean? Yes. So if you if you're inside, they actually have uh, the stat a statue of her and the book inside that Planet Hollywood. Yes, it just never meant anything to me before. Right now, well now it does. But what I found interesting was that they actually had made seven statues for the purposes of the movie, and I have no idea. I guess I had trouble blowing them up. I'm not really sure because I'm guessing they probably really blew it up, right? I would assume it seemed yeah. it definitely seems like all the effects were practical on this. Yeah, every everything looked you know non non CGI, right for sure. Yep. So, but yeah, that that's that's the big moment of the movie. Billy climbs back in his grave. Binks had been thrown from the the broom and hit himself on a tombstone. So so Binks the cat yeah. is dead. It wasn't just any tombstone, you know. 
It was his sister's. It was his sister's tombstone. Yes. Uh, because we see, and then we see Binks the, the person, or Binks the soul, uh, not to be confused with Binks the bedsheets and Binks the lunchbox. <laughs> Binksy the cat, the wonderful, wonderful cat. Yeah, we see we see Zachary's ghost, and he waves bye-bye and walks out with his sister, literally walking out the gates into the sunrise. Yeah, that was a little... Uh, a little overdone. A little pearly gates, yeah. 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 And then and she it, asked him what take what took him so long. Yes, and he says he had to wait 300 years for a virgin to light a candle. Yeah. Seems weird. Weird but true. Yeah, true, yeah, definitely true. And then as the uh as everything goes on, uh, the credits roll, we see the the parents emerging from town hall and we we didn't talk about Jay and and Ice the bullies. They got captured by the sisters with all the other kids as well. Uh and they're still in the Sanderson house in cages as, as the credits roll. Singing so you row row your boat. Yes. And they, wake, and they wake up the book. Which seems like a bad idea. Yeah. And then and then the book, the movie basically ends with the book's eye opened. Yeah. Creepy. Creepy. The human skin book. The human skin book. Obviously a reference to the Necronomicon, but, you know. Yeah, it... Uh, it's bizarre. I'm just it gonna say. Bizarre. I mean, it's a bizarre movie, but with some really fun stuff. Like I really like the parts of them in the house with the marshals. <laughs> is just o- awkward, funny. Yes. Yeah. Very but much like I, so. I, like I said, like I said earlier, if it wasn't Gary Marshall doing his shtick in that scene, it wouldn't be nearly as funny. And the three of them are hysterical as the witches, which is part of why I think it is a cult favorite, right? Because it's yeah. not. It it's not a great story. It's not even a well put together movie. No, no. But, but and despite that, the kids are just kind of like falling through the plot because that's kind of how I feel, right? Is they're just kind of falling through the outskirts of the plot, keeping up with the witches doing their thing. And I, the witches, the three of them together on screen, are very funny and do do their roles very well. Yeah, I think that's the biggest part of my problem with the movie is like when the three of them are on screen. And they are just interacting with each other, and like we said, I I, I imagine to to a great extent ad libbing, you know, playing off of each other, playing playing their characters to the hilt, you know, just like I said, chewing up the scenery, overacting. It's funny. It's good stuff. Well, there's not enough of it. <laughs> right. Sometimes they're literally doing Three Stooges bits. Literally. Yes. Yeah. But the problem is there's like the whole there the whole part where, you know, after the beginning, after they've been hanged, before they get brought to life is way too long. There's the part where they are supposedly dead after getting burned in the kiln where they're nowhere to be seen for a, a long time. You know, there's probably that's probably at least twenty minutes of screen time that that, that the, none of the three of them are there and there's no threat of them being there. Yeah, well, I, I was reading something. Now, I've never seen these scenes at all, but I, I was reading that there's some there's deleted scenes, like so they're stopped by fire, right, for that moment in the movie, like you said. Yeah. But there's a there's an earlier scene where the kids try to drown them because they read something about drowning witches, you know, during the Salem trials. So they try and do that, and apparently that was all cut from the movie. Yeah, it's it's just weird because it, like I was when I was watching it last night, I was like. It just uh, these three alternate between being a really scary threat and being really really funny, 
And yet the kids, for a large portion of the movie, aren't that concerned about them. They're just kind of running away haphazardly. Right. They're just – well, they're the kids trying to survive the horror movie basically. Right. But and but everybody here's the thing, right? Like in a horror movie, right? It's only ever the monsters and the group of kids. But here you have the monsters and the group of kids. And instead of the background being like a campground or a house or something like that, they're running around outside, and the background is other people trick or treating. Yes. Okay, which is really strange because there were plenty of kids around, and these witches spend a lot of time after these kids. So they're not too terribly bright either, which I guess helps the plot along. Yeah, I, uh, I, I don't know. I mean, it's it's just weird. I mean, like it feels like it. It feels like there's two movies to be made there, which is like the Disney Channel movie of the week, like we said, and the horror movie, and and the two of them don't go together. And what they ended up with was three really pretty good actresses trying to make comedy gold out of it and succeeding in some places, but you know, not entirely on others. Yeah. I did want to comment that the cuddling scene was awkward. The what scene? The cuddling scene, I guess we're calling it. Right, Aaron? That was your word, cuddling? Yeah, with Max and Allison. I agree. Very awkward. I thought that was really awkward. Even for a movie, even for like a Disney Channel movie. Really awkward. Yeah, it's 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 two like high school teenagers, and I'm sorry if we're being prudes here, but like cuddling together under a blanket after you just met, at, like yeah. two days ago, like at three in the morning, no less. Yeah, like my mom would have got, I would have gotten in trouble for that. I'm just saying. Right, and and but there were no parents in the house. They don't even. I'm not even clear the parents ever understood any of that happened. I pretty sure they don't. No, because they were under the spell. That's right. So. Yeah. I'm good. All right. I mean, we talked this sucker out. Yeah. I mean, it's 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 definitely one of those Disney movies that you always hear about. You know what I mean? And it's always on every Halloween. It re-airs all the time on, you know, ABC or ABC Family. But it's it's one of those that you, you just hear about all the time. I mean, you know, Hocus Pocus is, is a cult classic. I even went to Mickey's Not So Scary a couple of years ago, and there were people dressed up like the Three Witches. Right. I mean, like we mentioned last year when we did the Halloween episode, there are four movies that Disney will play every single Halloween. They are the three Halloween Town movies plus this. Yep. yep, definitely going to see it. All right, so ratings. Cheryl, what did you think of Hocus Pocus? One and a half. Wow. I mean, for I'm, I, I mean, I really, I mean, I think it's a great cult movie, but as a movie itself, it didn't fuzz for me. It didn't. It didn't. It had to be one or the other. It had to be horror. It had to be Disney movie of the week. I don't think this match was a good idea. Wow. You're, you're generally the most forgiving of us. That's that's not a good sign for this one, Todd. What did you think? Um. So, yeah, it's it's not a good movie, but that does. But a fun movie doesn't necessarily have to be a good movie. I think that's very clear. I mean, you know, like one of my all-time favorite movies is Buckaroo Banzai and also clearly not a good movie, though a very funny movie. Very true. Um, Also, I like Hudson Hawk, whereas the rest of the universe does not. 
I'm going to be with the rest of the universe on that one, but go ahead. Yep, so see? See what I mean? Um, so, uh, yeah, so I'm inclined, like, I Charles one and a half is not wrong, but I think that it because it's a chief cult status, I would bump it up to a two, just that so because it, it has that cult status kitsch to it. I mean, because it's not like I won't watch it if it's on. I'm just not going to go um, through an effort of watching it. Would you pay the two dollars again? No. <laughs> <laughs> but when it comes on Disney Channel, he might watch it. If it's on TV, yeah. There you go. Uh, I would agree with you. I would give it a two just because of the fact that I could I could if they've just made a a DVD of outtakes of the three main actresses uh, working together and ad libbing and being the witches, I would watch that over this that that DVD. I would give like a three or three and a half this as a movie, though, I give it two because I like about halfway through the movie. I started rooting for the witches. Because I, I could not stand these children. Yeah. Like, I, I just didn't care that they were in trouble. And, you know, like we said, from a narrative, it's definitely built like a TV movie with little breaks for commercials. And that just cuts up the entire narrative. Like, it would make sense if you were watching it as a serial, which is what TV movies are, right? They're little 10-minute serials with commercials cut in between. And they always end on a cliffhanger. And th- this is not that. It's just it doesn't really it do, it doesn't resonate with me uh and it's 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 scary where it needs to be funny and funny where it needs to be scary almost it's like they mixed it up so i agree i will give it a 2 all right so that is our look at hocus pocus and we have now completed the the kenny ortega filmography uh so make sure you go back and listen to all of our our kenny ortega podcast as well as any other podcast you might like and if you are kenny ortega you know just saying the invitation stands kenny Join us. We'll, we'll talk about all your movies. Come on down, Kenny. That's right. We've seen them all. I will even dance a dance number if you make one for me, Kenny. There we go. I don't think you can turn that off or down, Kenny Ortega. All right. So all of our fans out there, go uh, tweet and Facebook and email Kenny Ortega and tell him to come on the show. All right. Okay, so until next week, uh, when we start talking about other stuff, you can keep in touch with us at uh, Facebook. You can go to Facebook and and vote in our voter poll uh, about which you would like, to, which movie you would like for us to review. Uh, you can go there at Disney Film Project on Facebook. You can tweet us at Dis Film Project and let us know what you think of the show or or, or where Kenny Ortega is. We can we can track him down. Or you can just go to the website. I mean, DisneyFilmProject.com. It's right there. The show notes for this, you know, anything else you might want to find, uh, reviews and that sort of thing, is right there on Disney Film Project. So go over to DisneyFilmProject.com and check that out. Uh, but until next time, folks, we will see you later. Don't get your knickers in a twist. We're just three kindly old spinster ladies. You know, I've always wanted a child, and now I think I'll have one. On toast. Pull over. Let me see your driver's permit.